HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. Um, we're going to be talking today about uh, corporate acquisition of farmland, um, which is a real and present danger to our national food security and should be paid attention to by everyone. Um, my guests to that end are Jim Goodman, president of the National Family Farm Coalition, uh, and his vice president, Tiffany Belfield el uh, Jim and his wife, Rebecca, ran a 45-cow organic dairy and direct market beef farm in southwest Wisconsin for 40 years. As a farm activist, Jim credits more than 150 years of failed farm and social policy as his motivation to advocate for a farmer-controlled, consumer-oriented food system. What a What a concept, Jim. Currently, he serves as the president of the National Family Farm Coalition and is a board member of the Midwest Environmental Advocates and the Family Farm Defenders. Tiffany Belfield El Amin, uh, his vice president or the vice president, was raised in rural Madison uh, County, Kentucky. She grew up tobacco farming with her grandparents and lived a homestead life. She began community organizing in 2013 around education and food access. Um, she began working with the Community Farm Alliance in 2017, uh, starting there as a farm-to-table coordinator in the Northeast region of the state. Um, and this work has grown into her current role as food system equity organizer. And in 2024, Tiffany will take on the role as executive director of Kentucky Black Farmers Association. Welcome, both of you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know this has uh, been a, a bit of a struggle from the technological point of view, which doesn't usually happen. But there you go. It every it's always <laughs> there's always one. Um, so I, I wondered if you could, um, Jim. Why don't you start by um, telling us a little bit about yourself and the National Family Farm Coalition, uh, primarily, uh, and what kind of work you do? Okay, thanks, Katie. Um, Jim Goodman here. I live in southwestern Wisconsin. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, retired organic dairy farmer. We also did direct market beef at the Madison Farmers Market. Uh, I've been involved with NFFC for 20-some years. Uh, basically, I got involved because it uh, is involved in the same kind of advocacy that I've always done. Uh, we have about 30 member groups across the country, all farmer or fisher-based, and we basically advocate for fair prices 
for producers of food and want to be sure that uh, consumers have access, no matter where they live, to good, healthy food uh, produced in an environmentally sound manner. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim, do you work with the um, Organization for Competitive Markets and all those guys, Mike Calicrate and... I have been involved with those folks from time to time, yes. Yeah, yeah, because they, they're often guests for my show. Tiffany, how did you get involved in advocacy for farmers? Farmers. Well, I am a farmer and came from a legacy farm. Um, I'm the fourth generational heir to some land, and that's where I live. And so I've been advocating for myself for a very long time. <laughs> um, I'm also a doula. And so food accessibility, social and food justice has just always been a part of my own personal story. And so advocating for others whose voices aren't heard or just came to me naturally. Um, I did a lot of food system organizing and a lot of education around food in um, some of the food deserts in Lexington. Um, And then when I began with Community Farm Alliance, it was farm to table coordinator. But as I worked through the food system in different levels, I realized that there was a lot of inequities. Um, And so my work went into um, DEI and definitely, um, you know, the equity pieces to food system, adjust food systems. So Mm-hmm. Um, and then NFFC, you know, CFA is one of their member organizations, and that's where I work at. Um, and I was very lucky to meet some of the folks at NFFC and Farm Aid, and I was like, these are my people. Um, and so I've been really close connected with them, and, and now I'm vice president, so doing the work. Fantastic. So today we're, we want to talk about the Farmland for Farmers Act. Um, which was introduced in July of 2023 by Senator Cory Booker. And I, I wondered if you could sort of um, tell us why why would Senator Booker feel the need to introduce this act? Um, and then we'll talk about sort of some of the concrete issues that, that are facing um, people who want to get into farming uh, now who don't have access to land immediately. So what is this act all about? Why do we need this? Well, I can start a little bit on that, and, and, and Tiffany can fill in the blanks, but I think, uh, you know, if we look at the history of um, land ownership in this country, of course, black farmers were have been discriminated against ever since the end of the Civil War, and I think that was one of the motivations of Senator Booker. Um, and I think the other one, there's a lot of concern about uh, consolidation, not just of farms, but of processing industry, the machinery industry, the food industry. And I think uh, Senator Booker and other like-minded people just felt that rural communities do better when there are more small farms protecting those communities, spending their money in those communities. Uh, You know, and maybe it goes back to uh, Jesse Jackson in in 1988 when he said the best urban policy begins with the the best uh, rural policy. And Mm. that's very true. So I think that's one of the reasons. And I think Senator Booker just wanted to make sure that people who owned farmland were actually farming that land. <laughs> yeah, what a novel concept. Well, so let's let's set the table for listeners. Like, tell us how much farmland, for example, has migrated to corporate ownership? Because what we're really talking about here is the corporate predation on agricultural land, whether it's domestic corporations or foreign corporations. Um, there's a lot of uh, sort of companies like TIAA, CREF, a lot of hedge funds that are jumping into, um, you know, the agricultural land, um, I don't know, uh, rodeo. Um, so can you give us an idea of how much we've seen migrate to corporate ownership and then how much is about to turn over? I know there's a big, people are very worried that there's going to be a, a major turnover of land in the next few years. 
as we know, there's millions of acres worldwide that has been snatched up. And I mean, as a farmer in Appalachia, like they're coming and wanting to snatch up hundreds, thousands of acres. Um, And then like maybe up to 40% of all U.S. farmland is expected to change in the next two decades. And the cross, the cross intersection of this is that this is what they have on paper, but there's so many other pieces of land and land grab that documentation is not there. And these numbers could even be increased more than what we have on paper. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, this is a good place to make the point that most of this, or a lot of this uh, real corporate ownership or individual ownership or the, the investment funds are buying this land because they feel it's a good investment. You know, they're not creating new farmland except maybe in the rainforest in Brazil. Um, (laughs) And you get people like Bill Gates, who owns close to 250,000 acres himself, which he said he wants to do to increase jobs and and, uh, promote rural economies. Well, he may say that, but I think it's just an investment like all these, like you mentioned, a TIA fund. They see this as an opportunity to make money. Right. When when did that happen? When did farmland become such an attractive investment strategy for corporate entities like TIAA Cref? Was that like post crash two thousand eight or before that? Or yeah, that was probably the. I mean, it, it's always been going on, but that was when when it really became more attractive because as investments in two thousand eight took a tumble, as I said, farmland is still there, and they knew that it was a good right. investment. Right. And it's not going to go down in value because, as you also pointed out, they're not making more of it. No. And, you know, it, I mean, the land values vary, but no, in the long term, it just keeps going up and up. And up. Um, so let's let's talk about what the Farmland for Farmers Act actually is and what you hope it will achieve. Well, what I've been noticing um, with, as I ask a lot of people, like, what are the, their following policy? It seems that this is going to give the fair price, the fair value, and implement policy level uh, legalities that will protect the independent farmland um, coming against these corporate entities. Um, You know, a farmer who doesn't have a lot of money but has enough to keep their land could get outbidded at this moment in time. And so this act, hopefully being put in farm bill, will protect them instead of feeling like they have to bid against these corporate entities who have millions and billions of dollars. Right. So how would they, I mean, would it say, because I know that a lot of corporations already own a lot of farmland, so they're not proposing that they take away that land already acquired. But how will they prevent, because as Jim Point alluded to earlier, you don't always know, or maybe it was you, Tiffany, you don't always know who is buying this stuff up. I mean, you know, if, uh, you know, your neighbor down the road decides to sell and you don't know who he's selling to and you don't have really any right to ask, like, how will the government be able to regulate or monitor um, these types of sales without a sort of significant database? And I don't know, like, I don't even know how you would start that. What do you, what does it say in the act where it would help them uh, regulate this this type of sale? Well, that's one of the problems that, that Tiffany mentioned. We don't really know. And there have been, uh, the USDA over the years has tried to make sales of land uh, recordable and put in a database, but funding was cut for it. Uh, I think one uh, database was set up in 2018, and they're, they're still, if 
from what I understand, has been no public reporting on on that study. So it's really hard to track the land when uh, USDA, whether through inability to do it or not wanting to do it or not having the money to do it, uh, when mm. you can't record the sales, it's really kind of hard to keep track of them. And many times <laughs> these large corporations will set up smaller shell corporations to kind of mask things, which uh, not being a corporate guy, I guess that's a tactic they often use in hostile takeovers. And I think we can't look at this as being anything other than a hostile land takeover. Right, right. Well, I, I don't see how they're really going to be able to stop this but um i'm you know i'm interested in some of the language that they're that they're including in the bill um let me ask you this when so say somebody like a tia craft um buys a farm who does the actual farming are they say leasing it back to the farmer that they bought it from or are they bringing in their own cowboys to take care of it or what what is the usual um you know, trajectory of one of these sales? Well, I think that it probably varies some. Uh, I think you're right. In many cases, the farmers that used to own the land are hired to to farm it. Uh, in many cases, they probably are bringing in their own cowboys. Um, but the biggest thing that, that I see as a real threat, and I'm sure Tiffany can, can expound on this, is that lots of times land that was owned by small farmers producing actual food for people now becomes part of a big uh, corporation, and they're going to raise commodity crops, corn, soybeans, cotton, and they're going to fuel development of more confined animal operations. So just the exact kind of farming that NFC has always uh, fought against, this is the kind of farming that, that these large corporate entities generally do because they see that as being the most profitable way to farm. Right, right. Um, we're going to take a short break here for a sponsor drop. We'll be right back with uh, Jim Goodman and Tiffany Belfield El Amin talking more about the Farmland for Farmers Act. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So let's go back to some of the issues that um, some of the implications of what happens when to a rural community, when, uh, you know, a large part of the land around a certain community is acquired by a corporation as opposed to a small farmer or even a medium or large size farmer, but somebody who is not, you know, fully invested in taking care of the land for their future generations. Like what, can you talk about some of the implications, both socioeconomic and 
um, and environmental when you when you see this kind of transition from a small to medium sized family farm to a, a large corporate entity? You know, I see this a lot in rural um, East Kentucky, and it's like they'll come in promising that we're going to boost the economy and we're going to create jobs and, you know, it's a better way of farming than the commodity crop. Though they're doing commodity crops, they will change their agricultural practices, and it really feels like a win, but anything that's bigger than the mid-sized farmer is going to cancel us out. And I had this conversation um, when an entity came in and they're doing just tomatoes. And I was like, you know, you all already have the funding and the, and the opportunity to get all your registrations, your certifications, while this small farmer is trying to get it. And it's and just to be able to live, you know, um, mm-hmm. not for a corporate benefit. Um, and so it, it definitely, and then you see it, eventually you don't see us working in these places. You see people coming from out of town. Ashland is one, uh, Berea is another one, and you just see it and it's like a cycle. They know where to hit. So so when they say that there are going to be more jobs, are there more jobs? I mean, I mean, honestly, I feel like if, if it's not a farmer going in there and farming inside of the facility, then it's not the job that I'm thinking of. And it's only fitting your social socioeconomical uh, plan. And it really doesn't have anything to do with community and the people who are actually living inside the community. These people are driving from outside counties, you know, out of, you know, it's just, no, I don't feel it to be like that. No. Mm-hmm. Jim, what is your experience up in Wisconsin? with seeing uh, the transition from family farm or medium, you know, largish family farm to, to a corporate um, ownership model? Well, my part of the state is pretty rough and hilly, so we don't have quite the, uh, the flat Iowa, Kansas land that, that corporations mm. would really be coveting. But that, that doesn't say that I have not seen an awful lot of changes to our communities because as small farms have gone out of business due to low prices and and bad policy, and they become larger farms, uh, they tend not to do so much business in the small communities. And you see businesses leaving, school district numbers shrinking. Um, it just kind of takes the, takes the life out of the local communities because that money that the small farms were spending in the local community is now being spent somewhere else to buy their seed in bulk, to, to uh, you know, bring everything they need in in larger quantities that they feel they can buy cheaper somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the small communities die you know the tax base goes away uh it's just just a really sad situation that i've seen playing out over the years i farmed here yeah right and you do have the longevity so one thing i noticed in the language of the act which i didn't read fully but i did read you know quite a few sort of press releases and uh ancillary information is that it includes (laughs) this blew my mind people restricting access to usda and farm credit systems programs and benefits in other words the taxpayer has been underwriting corporations to the tune of whatever funding they're able to extract from the USDA. Like they're not helping farmers. It's a corporation that has like a massive bottom line, I would imagine. Um, and, uh, and somehow they're, they're able to extract significant sums of money from the USDA. And that this act purports to restrict that access. Am I understanding this correctly, that that's what we're doing? We're, we've been up, up until now and will continue to do unless this passes. We will be subsidizing corporations with, you know, loans and, and free money. Well, yeah, I think you're reading that pretty accurately. Um, yeah. 
you know, the, the a lot of these USDA programs that even carpet farms can access were put in place to help farmers stay on the land. And and undeniably, a lot of those programs that were, were and still are denied to black farmers. But uh, yeah, there's nothing that says that, you know, a family that owns hundreds of thousands of acres can't access these programs. And, you know, there's a limited pot of money. And generally, that money goes to what USDA t- determines is, is the greatest need. And if you've got a tract of several thousand acres that is the soil's eroding and running into the creek, that's that's a great need compared to a small farm with 100 acres that may uh, have some stream bank erosion. And guess where the money goes? To the exact right. corporations we don't want to get the money. Right. It's very interesting that they don't have, I would have thought that they would set up some sort of like economic threshold like if you are making this much money, you know, if you're making X, then you're not eligible for subsidization from, you know, these various grant programs and whatnot that are theoretically designed to help a small to medium sized farmer essentially compete with larger entities. Right. Uh, it's kind of amazing. They get like so in Kentucky. So I took black farmers up to meet. Senator Booker. And this was one of my stories was the fact that the majority always gets the funding pot. And in Kentucky, everything is rural. Everything is socially disadvantaged. We don't, we have like two big communities and everything else fits in the pot of socially disadvantaged. And so as they're giving funding out, the same communities and the same um, white led organizations are getting the funding. And though it is doing good work, Black farmers, black organizations, and heck, even the the, the Lang Grant University is not getting any funding from the state, and this is millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. And it took for us to physically go up there for people to realize, like, oh wow, like there needs to be a shift. You know? Um, so yeah, we're black farmers are less than two percent in in Kentucky, but we are up against everybody who's poor, impoverished. Um, and female. Mm-hmm. 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 So, I mean, that, that leads me to the next question is like, can you, especially you, Tiffany, talk about what, you know, corporate ownership does to land prices and to the opportunities that might otherwise be available to say BIPOC communities or underserved communities? Um, like, what are you seeing on the ground in that sense? Well, and that's what I was saying that, um, well, when we first began, when Jim began talking about Cory Booker, um, his, his, this is definitely holding on to protecting Black farmers. Um, in the South, corporate entities, the chicken, the chicken people, the dairy people, the rice, the yeah. soy people, like they're coming in. And that is the only leverage that farmers down South have, especially in the Delta, to keep their ownership. So it's like their relationship is a little bit different than we are here in Kentucky. Um, Mm -hmm. But there isn't really much of a win. My name is not on that chicken when it goes out. I don't have ownership to the product that I'm producing. And so with this act, I feel like, like I said before, I think it's going to give us an opportunity um, to actually have an equal way in when it comes to large um, corporation, us having a choice versus feeling threatened, um, thinking that we're going to lose our land because we can't outbid, things of that nature. Um, 
But it would be amazing if if a corporate investment could come into better the community and actually work with community-based people. And then if there was some entity that wasn't going to ruin our earth, but we could all do in cooperation, it could be a win-win. But that's not how they're going to play ball. And we know that. And so we have to have policies like this to protect us as mid-sized farmers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's it's important to remember also that there are a lot of small farms that are set up as corporations because it, sure. makes, it makes management easier or if the farm's going to be sold, it just makes it easier. This bill is not aimed at those farmers. This is aimed at corporate entities investing for investment purposes. And uh, Tiffany mentioned land prices. You know, that's one of the biggest obstacles to, to young farmers trying to get into farming is, is high sure. because they can't afford to get in. And this corporate acquisition makes it even worse because they know that, you know, they're going to invest some money now and it might be a lot for more expensive land, but it's going to pay off in the long term. If you're a young farmer who wants to get into farming, you know, you're working on the short term right now and you need to be able to afford that land. Yeah, well, that's the biggest. I mean, to me, that's the biggest issue is you have you know, deep pocketed entities, whatever, however they call themselves, who are swooping up, you know, uh, scooping up huge tracts of land and then land prices rise commensurately. I mean, prices here, and I'm in Rhode Island, and uh, agricultural land prices here are the highest, I think, in the entire United States, um, partly because we have such a small state, there isn't a lot of land to go around, um, but also because there's so much pressure from development and everything. And I'm sure that's true in some of the areas that you guys are talking about, maybe not in Kentucky, but um, certainly Wisconsin. You know, it's, 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 it's these issues, like trying to find a way to mm, designate tracts of land that cannot be developed. I mean, I don't suppose that's part of this um, Farmland for Farmers Act, is it? I don't believe it's directly in there, but, um, you know, sometimes when you're writing a a, uh, a brand new type of policy like this, you have to be able to, and God forbid, work across the aisle with people, but, uh, <laughs> you know, try and write policy that makes sense to everyone. Um, yeah. You know, baby steps, I guess you could say, and, and take the small victories as you get them. And, and I think there's a lot of potential for that in this bill. Oh, well, I, I certainly hope so. So do you think, um, to go back to something that Tiffany mentioned earlier in the show, um, I know that this act is being uh, included in the negotiations over the new farm bill. What do you think are its chances are of actually being signed into law? Because I've heard quite a few people say it's a non-starter. It's just never going to make it. Well, I could start on that. Uh, last week, the uh, the Senate uh, Forestry Committee held hearings on foreign corporate ownership of land. They didn't; mm-hmm. they weren't getting into domestic corporations, but they're talking <laughs> about foreign countries, basically Russia, North Korea, China, and Iran. Um, yeah. So it looks like they're really more concerned about enemies owning land rather than foreign governments owning land because Canada is the biggest owner of land in the a foreign country owner of land in the United States. That's true. Senator Booker and a couple other senators brought up, well, you know, we, we really need to talk about not just foreign corporations, but domestic corporations and investment funds. And we also need to talk about ownership of processing industries because the majority mm-hmm. of hog processing in this country is controlled by a Chinese company, and yes. this year the beef processing is controlled by a Brazilian company. That's uh, right. So once you, it, it's not just about losing the farmland, but it's about losing 
the ability to get it from the farmer to the marketplace and eventually to the consumer. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I, I actually the reason that I was connected with you two is that uh, Samantha Cave had read an article that I wrote four or five years ago about foreign acquisition of agricultural properties, um, and which I wrote largely in response to the acquisition of Smithfield by the W. H. Wang Group, um, which is really just a cover for the Chinese government. It's it's really not an independent entity at all, um, and uh, and what the implications of that are, and it's just like with contract farming. Whether it's chickens or hogs, um, you know the 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 end product is not necessarily reaching the, the audience that you want. Um, and meanwhile, we we the people are are left owning the the uh, you know the pollution. We have uh, given up enormous amounts of water and um, and grown a lot of feed in the service of these foreign corporations. And you know, there's a big piece in the Times yesterday or today about the the large tract of land owned by Saudi Arabia in Arizona that's that's watering alfalfa and uh taking water from the aquifer that really should be in fact feeding the cities of you know Tucson and Phoenix you know it's, it's Scottsdale etc so I, there's a lot to this issue and it's something that I think you know Americans would really serve us all well to be paying a lot more attention to it and to be to be uh, squawking about it to our elected representatives, because I mean, I think Booker is is a hundred percent on the money with this. Um, what else do you think people should know about about this act so that they could conceivably uh, go to their local, uh, uh, you know, fe federally elected officials and say, what 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 are you doing about this? How are you going to help us control um, where agricultural land lies in the future uh, generations? Well. First of all, farm bill discussions are ongoing, and so mm -hmm. definitely reach out to your legislator. Definitely get some support behind this, because I think it definitely is going to support our young and beginning farmers for sure, and then also protect our legacy farmers. Um, I think everybody will benefit from this, and it's a big for if with it's really big for equity in the food systems um, globally, regionally, nationally, and it just needs to be supported. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Jim, what about you? What do you think is what do you think is the most, mm, I don't know, the best talking point to hit your local official with and say, you well, know, pay attention to this, vote the right way. I think that the, the implications of this bill probably vary around the country. Obviously, things in, in the deep south and the delta are going to be different than in the northern states or the plain states. So you need to figure out, you know, a message that will really hit your local uh, state legislators and federal legislators. And uh, NFFC has some tips on our website that people can look up. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the water thing. I think that's a really important question because, you know, you don't have to go very far to find an article about how water is going to be the new the new resource that uh, is, is short in the world. And when Absolutely. we see Saudi Arabia sucking the aquifer dry in Arizona to ship alfalfa back to Saudi Arabia, while the only solution that I hear coming out of the Southwest is they want to build a pipeline to draw water out of the Great Lakes. Right. Uh, you know, the people in Arizona and the people of the Great Lakes states have some common ground here. They just need to figure that out and get together on the same message. 
Right. I, I don't I don't personally see that that is going to be the answer. I, I don't know what the answer is, but um, I've asked other water experts and hydrologists about this myself. Like, you know, do you see a pipeline being built from New England or the Great Lakes down to, you know, these drought stricken areas in the south and southwest? And, uh, you know, nobody's feeling super enthusiastic about that. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but but uh, I don't think the pipeline necessarily is it. Although Vilsack is all in on on building that uh, pipeline that supposedly captures uh, carbon and moves it through your area, right, Jim? Aren't you? Yeah, most of that? it's going to be west of here through Iowa and Minnesota. But yeah, that's yeah. that's an equally stupid idea. Yeah, right. right. Unbelievably expensive. Completely. Yeah, completely crazy. Well, um, let's wrap it up here and we'll give people um, how do they get in touch with NFFC, like learn more about this uh, bill and what you're doing to advocate for it? Well, the NFFC website is just NFFC.net. And uh, once you get there, it's it's uh, pretty easy to navigate and, and figure out the ins and outs of this bill. Um Another bill we we sponsored is the Fair Credit for Farmers Act that mm. will hopefully uh, allow farmers to get loans. Uh, hopefully, we'll also make up for some of the past abuses against black farmers that were denied for so long. So right. those are both both marker bills that are in the farm bill mix, and there's plenty of information about them on the NFFC website. Right. That's awesome. Well, people check that out. Woo! I mean, that NFFC's webpage has so many tools and resources just to navigate policy and the farm bill total, like, check it out for sure. Yep. All right, folks, thank you so much for this. I apologize again for all of our uh, technical issues, but here we are. We managed to do it. And um, I will watch this with great interest. I think it's a really important bill. I think everybody should be paying attention to who owns farmland in this country and what they're doing with it. And, uh, you know, we ignore it at our peril. So. I really appreciate the work that you're both doing to advance this cause. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, we appreciate you for doing it. You betcha. What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.